Um, yeah, so we're in Revelation <clears throat> chapter 2. If we were following the lectionary, which was sort of the plan uh, when we started this church year um, in November, we'd be on Revelation uh, chapter 5. That's the reading uh, for this week. And I emailed the teaching team and I said, uh, we did this six years ago where we just skipped and we, you know, we only took like seven passages out of the whole 21, 22 chapters. And I said, let's, uh, let's stretch that out. And so we all get a feel for the book uh, as a whole, as it goes, as it flows through section by section. And so what we're going to do is not every uh, chapter, um, but we're going to take the sections that come along. Okay, so for example, in chapter two, um, we have two and three, we have these letters to the churches. There's seven letters, and I'm going to explain this, uh, but we're just going to look at one of them because uh, that whole section sort of goes together. And so we'll take one of those uh, sections, about seven verses, and look at it this morning. And uh, you can read the rest of those chapters on your own, and it's going to be very similar to what we talk about this morning. Um, Will, uh, last week, uh, gave us a great introduction uh, to the book of Revelation. And Revelation, or apocalypse, means uh, something that's revealed. Um, uh, So I think of all those DIY shows, the home shows, right, where they have the big reveal at the end. And it seems like they only really have about 10 minutes of footage that they just keep redoing after the commercials and then they do the reveal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of re- repetition in those shows, but that's, uh, that's what everyone wants to see is what the house and they do the before and the after. And so Revelation is uh, very similar. It's revealing something. Um, and the church, probably under the rule of Emperor Domitian, which was uh, not good for people, um, this guy was pretty brutal. Um, The church is struggling. Um, I was thinking that sometimes, oftentimes after Sundays, Lisa goes shopping on her way home, goes to Target or Hannaford or Walmart. And in this world, if you were going shopping to the market, um, so we'll say Lowe's and Walmart. Yeah. Before, as you enter the parking lot, you have to... um, you have, to, you have to pay tribute or you have to uh, worship these gods, the god of the market. Um, if you go to the lumber store, you got to kind of, you know, worship, offer, do an offering to the god of lumber or something. You know, they're gods for everything. And so in this world, uh, trying to keep your faith um, is difficult. And Will talked about that last week, and it was really good, just talking about the, the trials that the church has. And um, it's been a number of years uh, since uh, the church was born and has come to faith, and they're struggling. They're struggling to understand, how do I feed my family? How do I um, do work? How do I, how do I engage in my vocation when there's so much emperor worship going on and other worship? We're going to talk about uh, where this letter is addressed in a minute. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to maintain um, and you have to make decisions on, you know, am, am I able to buy this food? It was worshipped, it was offered to us uh, an idol. Um, and uh, can we do that? Can we bring it home? How am I going to feed my family? And so there's just a lot of struggle in this world. Um, and as he mentioned, most of the world is, uh, in our day, most of the Christian world 
suffers persecution as well. We are very fortunate to live in a country where we have this freedom to worship as we please. Um, and that is a, an incredible blessing that uh, I'm very thankful for. It also op- opens up other issues that we have. And we see that in Revelation as well, that um, the wealth of, of the Roman Empire is... It can seduce people into leaving their faith. And I think the thing that we struggle with in this corner of the world um, is more just our faith just lulling itself to sleep and uh, maintaining, um, you know, some liveliness and a, kind of a, uh, a lively faith uh, in the face of um, all the opportunities that we have. Um, if we were living in some other portion of the, the world where persecution of Christians is um, still um, a regular thing, then Revelation would speak to us in a very different way. But the purpose of the book, this revealing, is to pull back the curtains and say, all that's going on here, God is behind this. All the things that are so tempting to you, behind that is a dragon, and it's going to devour you. Um, and pulling back behind everything is that there is a battle going on, and Jesus is still there. Jesus is winning the battle. It doesn't feel like it, but Jesus is winning the battle. So the whole point is to offer clarity to the church, which is funny because if there's any book in the Bible that seems to be confusing, it's the book of Revelation. Um, And so this idea that it brings clarity um, may not (coughs) seem very true to us because we've seen so many crazy interpretations of it. Um, In that world... Um, it would have been much more clear all the symbols that are going on. And hopefully as we go along, we can um, talk about that. And Will did that last week. He said, hey, you know, you see this word, Jesus says, I am the, the beginning. I am the one that is, the one that was, is, and is to come. One, was, is, and is to come. And that kind of resonates with the Roman, you know, the, the emperors would say something similar. And so when they get, when the churches get this letter and they read that, they're like, oh, I know this phrase. But it's not for the emperor, it's about Jesus, and they're reminded of that. So what, a phrase that seems crazy or kind of mysterious to us is going to seem very clear, and hopefully we can illuminate that. So the idea is to bring some clarity, and um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> whether our culture, whether we're being seduced by the wealth of our culture and all that it promises, or whether we're tempted to give up our faith because of persecution. Either way, behind this, um, there's a danger. Um, And this letter is trying to pull the curtains on that. And before we get to pulling the the curtain open on some of these, uh, what's going on in the culture in in the first century uh, with these churches, we start with making sure we're clear about ourselves. That's what's interesting. At the beginning of this book, there's this, uh, they, John addresses the churches. Before we even get into the story, we've learned about Jesus. Jesus is praised in chapter 1. We have the introduction to the book. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus addresses us. Jesus addresses the church. Jesus addresses seven churches in that area. And, and it's really not seven. Seven sort of a symbolic number. There were more than seven churches but it's, it symbolizes, you know, a letter to all the churches. And, um, and that's what we're going to talk about. That's where it starts. You know, it's sort of like before we can 
understand clearly our faith and how we're going to engage in this world, we need to be clear about where we are as well. Right? Right? So for a thriving faith, for a faith that is going to be uh, flourishing, we got to be honest uh, with ourselves. You know? And the Bible does that. The Bible confronts things about us. And uh, I feel like sometimes, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but in our culture, particularly on Facebook, these memes you see all the time, it always feels like we're in a culture sometimes that's, you're good, I'm good, we're all good, you do you. And the Bible is a reminder that um, on the one hand, we need to attend to our own health, our own mental health, our physical health and social health. And so there's something about the trends we're seeing now that I think are very helpful and good tools. But at the same time, um, we are part of the problem in the world as well, that we need things addressed as well. Um, and so uh, that's what we get uh, this morning um, when John starts this. So a thriving faith requires, thriving in our faith requires seeing both the world and ourselves with clarity. So we go to uh, verse one, and it's only seven verses, and we have... Uh, these seven letters we begin. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. We'll read the whole thing, Drew, and then we'll come back. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds. You don't hate the people. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what they are saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So he starts by addressing Ephesus, and this is one of the seven cities that are addressed. Ephesus was one of the, was like the fourth largest city in the whole area. So top is going to be Rome, and then Alexandria, and then Antioch in Syria, and then Ephesus. Probably a quarter of a million people living there. And it is home to one of the biggest cults in the whole Mediterranean. And it's the Artemis cult, or the, it depends on if you're looking at the Romans or Greeks, but it's Diana in one and Artemis in the other. And one of the seven wonders of the world is there, the, this area, this... Um, Dionysus. Yeah, yeah, the, the temple yeah. there. Um, so there's this, it's a center for emperor worship. It's a center for uh, Artemis and Diana cult. And there's a lot of mystery religions that are going around uh, at this time. Um, secret sort of societies, the, the church was sort of thrown in with these, sometimes from a Roman or a official's point of view. And um, <clears throat> it's just a hotbed for a lot of, um, and it's got a large Jewish population too, who are also uh, coming out against the church at times. So it's a tough place to be a Christian. Um, <clears throat> and what I love about this first verse, let's bring that back up, 
is that in the midst of all of this going on, it's a, it's a real urban area. Um, this is the biggest city that's addressed out of all um, that are mentioned in this first two chapters. Um, I love this. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And some question like, the letter to the angel, what is that all about? You know, and uh, angel is messenger. So sometimes uh, scholars think that it was, a, it was addressed to the leader of the congregation. But throughout all of Revelation, angels tends to refer to a supernatural being. So it would be odd to switch it. So um, again, we have this symbolism of uh, God's presence in and among the church. And I love this, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. He's referring to the church, but right off the bat, in the midst of all of this going on, all of what's going on in your life, all of what's going on in everyone else who's, who's not here this morning and all the other churches in this area is that you have this message right off the bat that Jesus is among us, that Jesus is there because we go through times where we feel like Jesus ain't there. We wonder, right? We wonder where Jesus is at times um, when we're dealing with relationships and financial stress and uh, vocational questions and you know, new family on the way. Where's Jesus and all this? Um, and I love that there's that affirmation right in the middle, right? Mentioning Ephesus, this hotbed for paganism, um, that Jesus is there. There's a reminder. And I think that is like this theme throughout the whole book. God is there. God is there. God is there. It doesn't seem like it, but God is there and is going to win this battle over evil in the end. Um, so he starts in with the message, verses 2 and 3. Right? We have, uh, I know all the things that you do. Now, here's another one of those things about, uh, about Revelation, is that these sort of messages would go out from the emperor to local cities. This is really common, where uh, not just general ones over a whole area, but these specific letters to a certain city, the emperor would send out and say, listen, I can see what you're doing. Um, you're doing this well, and there'd be praise, and there'd be criticism about what they're not doing well and what the emperor wants them to do. So all of this is very familiar. And once again, we're seeing that, okay, God does this too. This is not just something that happens out here, that God is at work, and God is working through the culture that we know and we live in. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles, but are not. Again, Ephesus is a hotbed for all these other religions. And what we're getting a picture here is a church that really does the work to discern what is true theologically. You know, they're doing their study. They're doing their, their homework. The claims uh, that, that, that they are apostles, but are not, you have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And you have this feeling that God sees. God sees what we have done. God sees the hard work. God is with us. And then you move into uh, the second part. Verse 4. We have, but I have this complaint against you. Now, all of these letters are going to follow a similar pattern. 
Some of them don't have complaints. There's one or two that don't have complaints. And there's one or two that don't have any praise for the place either. Um, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you want. So here's the clarity. Before we see our world clearly and Jesus working clearly in our culture, there's this call that we got to be honest about where we're at and about what we need and where God is leading us and the places that we fall short. And this one in particular, all the other letters are different, a little bit different, very similar, very in a little bit different. This one is this idea that we've lost that first love, right? And, and I think we've all seen movies or we've heard podcasts or we've talked to friends that they go to you know, marriage counseling, and the counselor will ask, you know, tell me about when you all first dated. We asked you to. You know, tell us about when you first dated. You're not there yet. That's good. Uh, so, and there's this sort of going, and there's, and I believe the idea is to go back and remember um, what life was like. And so I was thinking about that. And when Lisa and I started dating, we lived in Columbus, and uh, we lived in an area called Grandview, um, <clears throat> not too far from German Village. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kathleen lived in German Village for a while, uh, a few blocks from there. And, um, yeah, we didn't have two dimes to rub together. And what I remember most about that time in that dating experience was walking around the, the um, walking around... Uh, the neighborhoods and just we'd come back just laughing and laughing and laughing and you know when you laugh I don't know if people are here you know if you get down if you have a, a, a night where you're down or whatever uh, you watch your favorite sitcom because so you can get those you know whatever chemical <laughs> endorphins going from laughing um, but we we just laugh and laugh and walk around and I remember I think this was during pandemic I don't know how we got out of the house just the two of us um, but we were down at Popham and it was freezing. I just remember having these coats on and just being cold and we're walking way out there. And it was just like that. Just, we were just walking, you know, just laughing about stuff. And it's probably really stupid things we were laughing about. But it was this idea of um, remembering. I was just remembering that time of, you know, what was so much fun. We, a few years later, um, when we lived in uh, North Central Ohio um, and we we're both in school, we would we would drive. We get in the. We had this old Nova, white Nova, and we drive in these back roads wow. and and just drive around. And um, same thing. We didn't have much. We we go to this place called Linway. It's a little family restaurant, and like all we could afford was like the grilled cheese and fries. <laughs> and it was a blast. It was a blast. Um, and uh, you forget. Right? When you have kids, you forget. My kids are here, but they're not in here, so I don't even know where they are. But, you know, you, you, you go through all these things where you, there's all, you know, there's worrying about paying bills and uh, job changes and family and parenting and uh, just a number of things that steal our attention. And we forget. And this church apparently has come to this place where theologically it's become a little bit, it's become precise, but a little bit cold. Um, at least in their affection toward one another and toward God. And I remember, maybe it might be worth uh, remembering when you were first a Christian. And I think some people in our church were raised in a church, and so they, 
they feel like they're at a loss because they don't have some sort of conversion experience. I, I was partying too much at college, and that led to my own conversion. And um, we would go, again, we didn't have much money. We'd go to Denny's with my friends, and we'd stay up till all hours of the night with a bagel and coffee. Those poor waitresses never got anything from us except bagels and coffee, and we'd stay up till all hours with our Bibles out there in the Denny's in Springfield, Massachusetts, um, just talking. And it was, um, it was another time where it was like everything was new and fresh. And so this is the reminder. This is the, this is the curtain they're pulling back on this particular church. And so before we get into all the graphic novel, uh, Revelation is like a graphic novel. It's all these symbols and powerful images. This is actually a graphic novel of the book of Revelation. Wow. And um, all those images are meant to convey things in a powerful way. And before we get to that, and we can begin to look at what's going on in culture around us in that first century, Jesus is saying we need to pull back the curtain on our own hearts and our own lives and see where we are at. In some cases, as you read through the next uh, chapter and a half, you might see churches that um, they don't have their theology down too well. They kind of are wishy-washy about uh, Jesus and who he is. And it would be easy in that world because there's so many gods. So you can just take Jesus and put him among many others and instead of supreme over all. And um, other churches are going to have that problem. But this church has lost. If they're going to engage in this world, they have to have love for one another. And they've got to have that passion. And they've got to find where's that spring of life where you just laughed and wanted to be together and be with God one more time. Um, you know, or renew it. Not one more time. Not just one time. But. And so... These end all the similar, uh, you know, remember, repent, and redo. Uh, so there's remember. Remember that time where you had that love. Remember when you first came to faith. Um, repent, which simply means to rethink. Rethink. What do you need to do to get back to that? Uh, what are the walks on the beach that you have to take? Maybe it's, maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's walking on the beach with just you and God. That can be an incredible time of renewal, you know? Um, but what are those things that light that fire within you um, and then go back and redo that and, and get going on that again um, <clears throat> and renew that love uh, between you and Christ? One scholar wrote about this, uh, no great scandals uh, disfigured its reputation, uh, the church in Ephesus, and its organization was still functioning smoothly, but the inner springs of its life had run dry. So there's this call to return. And at the end, you have this promise, and you have these promises at the end, that as we do these things, um, I believe it mentions taking from the tree of life, right? And so one of those huge temples there had this huge tree carving in it. And a lot of temples looked like gardens. They had carvings of gardens because it was meant to convey this idea of like a garden of Eden, you know, where everything's perfect and there's no chaos and no rot, right? Everything's fresh and new. And one of those uh, had a big tree. And so this would have reminded them, oh yeah, so God is like that, just like in this huge temple over there, uh, but it's not there. It's God. God will give us. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life 
in the paradise of God. And so the promise, as we look at this culture, and it's so tough to renew that relationship, the promise is that um, as we do that, life is given. There's a renewal of life. There's a new spring of life within us as we go and renew that relationship. Now, my challenge, uh, the invitation, is to read through the next chapter and a half because you might not be at a place where you're like, I've, I'm not, you know, I'm not dry in my faith with God. It might be something else. And I'm curious, um, as we read through the seven messages to these churches, which uh, strikes a chord with you? Which resonates with you as far as their praise and the warnings that go along with that? And so you find those in the rest of chapter two and in chapter three. Yes, idea that we begin with clarity on where we're at and we take this brutal look at ourselves, honest, brutally honest, and say, where, where are we? Can we do that? Chapter, chapter 2 and 3? Yeah, the letters to the churches, and then we move on to the next section. Um, okay, let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word. Um, uh, be with us. May your spirit, which walks among us, um, the lampstands, the church, uh, meant to be a, a light on the hill, uh, as you walk among us, as you uh, minister among us, as you come to us in the power of your spirit, um, may you illumine in our own lives um, where are those places we need to return? Where are the places we need to redo uh, and rethink our lives? Um, <clears throat> God, I thank you that we do not suffer the kind of persecution that we read about in uh, Revelation and that we hear about in the rest of our globe. We pray that you are with our uh, brothers and sisters in the faith in all forms of that faith around the globe um, who are suffering, um, who are scared to meet this morning um, or earlier this morning or gather tonight in small places, in quiet places. Um, uh, I think of uh, churches in the Middle East and the Far East. And um, we, uh, we don't have that here at North Harbor in this building. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but quicken our heart and our minds uh, to the dangers that do lie around us in our culture. I pray that we would not fall asleep, that we would maintain that love for you and that love for one another, that that would be a witness, it would bear witness to our culture around us. Um, we are grateful that we live in a part of the world that does uh, um, honor, um, it does at least think about uh, human dignity and um, we know that there are areas in the world where uh, people in general, not just Christians in general, uh, struggle more, um, are oppressed. And um, I pray that we would not fall asleep to their needs as well, um, and that we would continue to look uh, to the work that needs to be done in our culture, that we would not be lulled asleep uh, by the ease that we have here. Um, but be with us, uh, strengthen our faith, and continue to lead and guide and reveal to us um, ourselves, um, the strengths that we have, um, the weaknesses that we have, and be with us and call us back to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.